First of all, I just man like to welcome everybody. It's good to see uh, my family here, um, not literally but figuratively. And if you guys are new, you're still family. If you're part of the body of Christ, and we welcome you, we hope that the Lord is honored in your eyes and that you're welcomed. And we welcome you uh, with all of our hearts. One of the things we like to do at MacAv is again, you know, knowledge is good, but unless it's turned into wisdom, it really can be irrelevant. Doesn't change our lives. We desire our lives to be changed. So if you guys have a question about something that I bring up, you know, I'm not clear, please feel free to raise your hand. We would just ask again that it would be pertinent, uh, probably relevant for the group here and not just a personal thing. You and I can talk afterwards about that. So let's open up in prayer. Oh, Lord, we praise you that, in fact, you have set us free because the cross provided salvation and redemption for us. We are not under the bondage of sin. We're not under bondage of the law. We're not under the bondage of Satan. You've given us wings, Father God. You've made us capable. You've empowered us by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Christ, to serve and honor you. And for that, we give you great praise and glory, Father God, not just with our words, but with our lives, with our actions, Father God. Because you've taken out of us a stony heart of flesh. And you've given us a new heart of flesh that we might serve and honor and worship and adore you, Father God, with the language of our lives. Lord, your word is so clear that there are blind eyes and deaf ears and black hearts. May that not be the case, Father God, even in the believer's life today. Father, may we set aside garbage, Father God, that would hinder that. Lord, unstop our ears. May we not have itching ears just to want to hear the good things of Scripture, but the hard things of Scripture. Lord God, give us eyes to see you in glory for the provisions you've made for us, for the gifts you've given us, and how we might best serve and honor you, Lord God. Lord, whether my words are poetic or not, your word is power. And it changes lives. And we count on that. Not eloquent speech, not great sermon notes. We count on you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Turn the knowledge into wisdom, Father God, by action in our lives. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So, uh, faith, uh, pastor's got Bibles. If anybody needs a Bible, he'll be walking down the aisles. Just raise your hand. We'll see to it that you get one. If you need one for home, we'd love to provide that for you guys as well. So today we're going to discuss work and faith. And I was going to ask Pastor if I could have about three more Sundays, but that didn't seem like an appropriate request, so we've we've done a little condensing. With that uh, being said, I'm a bit nervous because I've got to do quite a big umbrella with a lot of generalities. And so I would uh, beg you to hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. And again, there's going to be pretty big generalities. If there's something you want to talk to me about afterwards, I'd be happy to do that. So we're going to discuss what work is, what work is not, what motivates our work or vocation and the choice of it, and what is the purpose of work. Today's discussion is not going to be a three-step process to finding the perfect job or God's perfect pick for your career. 
you know, I believe that there are simplistic and foundational components to choosing a career, a vocation, but the decision-making process of that can be very complex, and I don't want to make light of that. So I hope to give you some information that can act as tools and guides as you unpack faith and vocation. Again, general overview, there's probably three major components that I'm, you're going to hear me stress pretty repeatedly. There's going to be a mantra of similar words. That's the point that I'm trying to get across to you. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. My son James and I had a conversation probably a year ago where he expressed something that I thought, man, was a, was a great idea. Jesus Christ walked an absolute perfect point to point because he knew God's perfect will. He didn't veer one step right or left. And as believers, because of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you and I are trying to walk that straight, that same narrow, straight and narrow, and you know what, we're going to do this once in a while. And then we read the scripture, somebody corrects us, and we, you know, we go back over. And we're trying to figure out what that straight and narrow will of God is. And so again, today my hopes are to give you guys some tools to give you opportunity to be able to figure out career, vocation, and how to mix faith in that. So I don't want you guys to answer this per se. I just want you to kind of think through your mind. When I say the word work or vocation or career, what comes to mind? Does can't wait to get up in the morning and get to work? Or man, I hate Mondays because I got to go back to work. Do you think of the overbearing boss who makes your life miserable? Or the peer pressure that's involved in your work setting? Or the fact that you still haven't gotten a raise? Or you still haven't gotten a promotion? And that nobody thinks better of you, and they should. So we're going to talk about what work is. We're going to go through some scripture, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heaven, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then there was evening and morning the sixth day. So God said it's very good. You know, if you read previously, it's the first time that God's included the adjective very. And what, he, what it was very good was the completion of his creation and the giving to man of his charge over it. We're not going to really talk much about this passage in particular. Historical um, consensus on this passage is that this is a work mandate, okay? The be fruitful, multiply, subdue, have dominion. This points to the mandate of work. So let's just get right into it. What is work? Work is God's gift to man as creation's shepherd. It was not originally toilsome. 
And it is holy and holistic by nature. Coming from God, it's holy, holistic because it encompasses creation with man and every component of man in it. And it was in place before the fall. This is not something that happened after the fall where God cursed man having to work. So let's discuss a little bit about what what work is not. So what happened? God gives us this great job of lording over creation and being its shepherd, but then somehow it turned toilsome. Sin. Sin brought infection throughout creation. You know, I I keep trying to think of of, uh, word pictures. You know, if you guys have a clear glass of water and you take a couple of food coloring drops and you drop it in it, you pollute the whole glass of water. Sin polluted creation, including man, the work ethic, and all of creation. And then there's two components here that I think are real critical. It skewed the original intention of the gift from an offering, I'm sorry, from an enjoyable offering to toilsome. God offered to man the mandate of shepherding the earth. And when sin came in, it skewed that perspective to become toilsome. And I, to be honest with you, I think as important is it skewed our perception of work so that we no longer see it as a gift. What do we see it as? Man, I got to go to work on Monday. Bummer. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. So the context of this scripture is trusting God's sovereignty in the driving force of circumstance. And you guys, I got to apologize. I changed some of my notes, so some of this is not going to be up there, or it might have extra words. So again, please forgive me. So the context is trusting God's sovereignty in the driving forces of circumstance. The believer can rest assured in the Lord's sovereignty, receiving this gift of rest. You know, we quote Romans 8.28 all the time for, you know, God's able to make all things work to our better to our benefit and his glory and honor a couple weeks ago i'm sitting here and pastor eric's talking and in my mind i'm going over that other people's messed up actions and sin affect me and i was mad i got to change stuff in my life because of some other knucklehead and man clear as a bell the lord said do you think that that scripture doesn't apply to that aspect? Or is it only the, you know, the stuff that Matthew Rojek does? It's not. It's the other stuff that people do around you that affects us that can still bring our benefit and God's glory. Why? Because it's a chisel in our life, chiseling out the character and the image and the identity that God desires to put in us. I'll tell you what, man, that, that, that gave me freedom. So... We can either rest in God's sovereignty or we can get up early in the morning and toiling and in fear and wondering like, gosh, like how's God going to accomplish this? I I don't have a degree or, you know, I I don't have skills. So I'm going to get up early. I'm going to work late. I'm going to work two jobs. And there's nothing wrong with working two jobs. There's nothing wrong with working hard. But what's the motivation? Is the motivation fear or unbelief? Or guess what, Lord? Yeah, you didn't give me the right gift, so I'm not going to trust you on this. I'm going to work. And what does it say? You're going to dine on the bread 
of anxious toil? Do we trust God? Do we believe his sovereignty is good? Or is it scary to us? Results in the workplace because of the fall. Man, some jobs are monotonous. They're boring. Because we're not using the gifts and talents that God had given us. There's hard manual labor that's egregious. I'm not talking about hard work. But I'm talking about, like, think of coal miners back in the early days. Man, those dudes, that was miserable work. I mean, people died because of that stuff. Poor wages. The falls brought poor wages and what I would call unsustainable. So there are people that are unable to make sufficient salary to make their needs met. Now, there's other things we're going to talk about. You know, people's choices affect that. But the reality is, and I believe, I believe there's a conspiracy from the enemy of our souls. Why do we have a 40-hour work week and not a 30-hour work week? I think it's because he knows that he's stretched us to our max. And for 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day, man, I give my best. And then I come home and it's like, yeah, give me a meal. Oh, the kids need me. Yeah, I'm pretty tired. I'm just going to turn on some TV. There's a conspiracy. And the conspiracy includes low wages. I hope I can explain what I mean, but I'll, I put beauty perverted. You know, think about nature and animals and how they have been elevated above life. You know, people are more concerned about baby seals than they are about human life. I mean, that, that makes me want to puke. Sorry. Labor and management disputes. There's always employer and employee fighting. Well, we want to make a bunch of money so we can... You know, give it to the, the people who own stock. Well, we want more. I mean, there's, there's just constant labor bickering. And then also something I just called like just out of reach. And I think there's two components here. I think it goes back to the poor wages and the sustainable. It's just out of reach because, again, I think there's a conspiracy theory from the enemy of our souls to make mortgages and groceries and everything, you know, where people who are on minimum wage, you know, they're just always struggling. They're always trying to reach that. And I think the other thing, again, because our perception of work and life is skewed, we want more than we should. And so it's always out of reach. We always need another dollar, another 10000 a year, because it's just out of our reach because of our, our, our foolish desires, our lustings. The scriptures tell us that. 26 years ago, I was reading a magazine, and I saw a quote that, like, man, has really affected me. Contentment is a present state of mind, not a future attainment. Contentment is a present state of mind, not a future attainment. If you're not content now, I don't care if you get a raise, you get a better job, better boss, better co-workers. If you're not content now, chances are, unless you open your eyes to what the Lord's telling you, you're not going to choose contentment. Contentment is a choice. Apostle Paul says, man, whether I'm abased or whether I abound, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, whether I'm shipwrecked or whether I'm sitting in the governor's palace, mansion, I'm cool because I'm content. Why? Sovereignty. He could trust God's sovereignty. Whether or not other men's sin brought Paul to Rome, Paul's saying, nah, he already told me that's coming. I knew that's coming. I don't know how I got here. I don't care how I got here. I trust in the sovereignty of God. So what's the world's definition? You know, 
I would say that they think it's a necessary evil. And they would say, like a gift? Are you kidding me? Work? No, I want to play. TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Why wouldn't you be thankful for a job, for productivity, for the use of your gifts? We make an idol. We, the world, would make an idol of the weekend. We work only for the weekend. We work only to play. We work only so we can get in more debt as we gain possessions. We go into debt because we need a boat. Or we go into debt because we need a cabin. Eating the bread of anxious toiling. So let's discuss real briefly a few types of work that by nature dishonor God and his original intention. Something I would call selfish, where only it or the owner is served. And again, generalities, don't, don't nail me on this one. Those payday places where you, know, you don't have money, so you go to me and say, hey, I'm going to get a check in three days. And they say, cool, we'll give you some money. Are they serving that person? No. They're stealing them. They're stealing from them. They're putting them in bondage. You're not going to get out of that loop because that's going to happen the next week. And they keep adding higher percentages. They're thieves. Purposeless. In our, in our zip code, liquor stores. All they do, all they do are feed addictions and sustain bondages. Oh, some of them have food. Yeah, sugar and salt. Fruitless. Again, give me some grace on this. Like governmental research grants for funding. You know, with kids here, there's some things I'm not going to say, but you guys can imagine what I'm talking about. What's really gained but the applauding of men's foolishness in spending. And then I love sports. I'm going to use a couple nasty sports analogies. Sorry. What I would call ludicrous frivolity, pro and college sports. The obscene dollars spent with very little worthwhile payback. I mean, name me any benefit. Yeah, okay, a couple of guys get to go become pro and they, you know, were orphaned at birth and now they're a good football player and so, you know, they've got some dignity and worth. But, I mean, the reality is it's obscene. Consistent cheating. But guess what? The next college, hey, they'll take them. The guy's got a winning percentage record. Man, that's wicked. That's wicked. This guy's going to remain nameless, but there's a col- there was a college coach a number of years back who there are sanctions coming to his college. So what does he do? He jumps to the pro leagues, wins a Super Bowl. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Everybody loves this guy because he's a great philosophical coach. He's a liar. He's a cheat. And he escaped the punishment. And then his school's got to suffer for it. But because he's got a great coaching record, hey, let's pay him every dime we possibly can. That's obscene. So how does the gospel redeem work? Simple answer is Christ's redeeming redemption was overarching. It covered every aspect. Even as sin clouded the water of creation, Jesus came in with a sponge, sucked the garbage out of it, and we have the opportunity to live redeemed. Colossians 3, oh, I'm sorry. I hope I can explain this. The original gift was returned opportunistically. 
I hope that's a word. We are now empowered and we're now capable. So again, there was a perversion of the work mandate. Christ's redemption came, cleaned that thing up, presented it back to us opportunistically. And all I'm saying by that is we have a redeemed vessel that we can offer to the Lord and honor him. Or we can still screw it up because of our bad choices, because of fear, because of unbelief. Opportunistically, it's there. We have the power. We have the capability because we have the Holy Spirit. Our eyes have been cleaned. Our ears have been cleaned. We've been given a new heart. We can understand. Praise the Lord. This is a gift. God's given me talents. He's given me gifts. And I can honor those back to him in worship. So let's read some scripture. Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service when everybody's watching. Or as people pleasers. Yes, sir. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. And not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ephesians 6.5-9 through 9, Bondservants This is almost a duplicate of the Colossians verse. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. As you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bond servant or free. Masters, do, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there's no partiality with him. In these passages, Paul offers choice and freedom. He doesn't say, don't eat meat, or eat meat, quit eating vegetables. He lists a few rules, scriptural guidelines, that allows for believers the freedom in choosing, but in keeping with 1 Corinthians 12, 12, where it talks about various body parts that you and I are that compose this congregation, that compose the greater congregation of, of Christ. They make up the whole body. Paul, realizing the diversity of his audience and really choices that have already been made, as he comes back, as seems to be his mode of operation, to a foundational keynote. So looking at these scriptures, can you guys guess what that keynote is? What's been repeated through it? Anybody got an idea? Okay. Focus is Christ, Betty said. Jim, did you have something? Okay. Bond servant of, of Christ, not of man. But there's one word. What's our motivation? To serve wholeheartedly. What's God always looking at? He's always looking at our heart. Our actions can betray us, but our heart can't. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? Love God with? Whole heart, soul, mind, strength. Second commandment, it's pretty similar. Love others as you love yourself. 
So again, foundationally, we're looking at Paul says, whatsoever you do wholeheartedly unto the Lord, not unto your boss, not unto your employer. I mean, you do that as well, but again, foundationally, wholeheartedly. And how can that happen? Jesus takes all the commandments, including all the little nasty jot and tittles that the Pharisees added. And when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Brushed all the books aside. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Wow! If you guys haven't gone through the doctrine or the, the discipleship binder on gray areas, promise me you'll read it this week. Preju- or, um, principle and preference. Principle. Love God with your whole heart. Preference. Be an abstract painter. Work on the line at Ford's. Be an accountant. There's lots of freedoms that Paul gives us. Principally, foundationally, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord, not unto men. Because who are you going to receive your reward from? Does everybody love a paycheck? What about our paycheck in eternity? How cool is that going to be? Can you imagine walking through the pearly gates and getting high-fived by Jesus Christ himself? Well done, good and faithful artist. Well done, good and faithful doctor. Well done, good and faithful cos- cos- cosmologist. Cosmopologist, I don't know. Okay, a couple of points trying to continue to make. Redemption opens the believer's eyes and gives them power to obey. I was blind once, but now I see. I was deaf once, but now I hear. My heart was corrupt, but I've been a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And as I transform my mind by the renewing of it with the word of God, oh, that's what the Lord means by wholeheartedly. Hey, I can honor my boss, praise the Lord, even if he's a slacker sluggard. I can honor him because my reward is not the paycheck. It's not necessarily from your boss. It's from the boss's 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 boss. Christ Jesus himself. So we're to fulfill the original mandate. What, 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 what's the wrong motive? The wrong motive is get yours before somebody else gets it. You deserve better because you're a king's kid. They're not respecting you. They're taking advantage of you. Wages as idolatrous kings, education as an idolatrous king, or prestige as an idolatrous king. Those are not our motivations. Ultimately, as believers, we are eternally minded. And I'll tell you what, I think, you know, doing this thing again, you know, walking the straight and narrow, you know, we got eternity there, but we got today here. Man, that's a difficult juggle at times. We want to have finances to do cool things, to honor the Lord, to bless our families. And how do you put that in perspective? Man, I'm wrestling with my 401k. Okay, Lord, when do I retire? How much money do I need? Am I trusting in my money? Am I trusting in my bank account? Am I trusting in your sovereignty? Man, those are things that we wrestle with. But again, it's with eternity in mind. And we're saying, Lord, I want to walk in your will. I trust in the sovereignty of the Father. That even if I make stupid mistakes... God can redeem that. My 401k might shrink, but that's irrelevant. I'm serving wholeheartedly the Father, and he's going to bring about his plan in my life. 
Now, I'm not talking about being rebellious, but I know, you know, there's a number of young people in here that I've talked to over the last couple of months that are like wrestling. Man, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I make this right decision? I want to honor the Lord. Okay, praise the Lord. That's a great start. You want to honor the Lord. Get sound counsel from if your parents are believers or your Mac group or your discipler or the elders or a pastor. That's what we're here for. If you make a a right turn and the Lord wanted you to make a left, don't you think he's capable of steering you back and redeeming that thing? He says, hey, I know you took a detour, but guess what? We'll chisel you a little bit over here. So you say, you know what? Don't want to do that again. Praise the Lord. Matthew 6, 30 through, 34, 30 through 34. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Praise the Lord. Foundation. Principle. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Done. All these things will be added to you. You do those things, those things are going to happen. Bets? Wow. Okay, so Betty said, how do you not be anxious? You know, let's say brought up about my 401k. And, you know, again, in, in my mind, Pastor, chime in. Um, I think that we've always got to go back to the sovereignty of God. Again, the Bible says in Psalms or Proverbs, like, he turns the king's heart wherever he wants it to go. And so if he can do that, I, I believe very clearly that he can... Whatever that end thing looks like, I got a million bucks, praise the Lord, I'm cool. Or I got 100 grand, guess what? Sell your house, have a used car. Don't go out to eat all the time. So I'm not, I don't think good on my feet, Beth, so, you know, I, I don't know if that helps. Again, I think principally we're talking about sovereignty of God, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbors yourself, working wholeheartedly. If I'm working wholeheartedly, whatever happens down there is not all on my shoulders because I'm trusting the Lord. So therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, bottom line is, will we trust in and for his current and future provision you know I know somebody who is considering going into the ministry giving up a good job and I'm going to tell you what if that's me my knees are going to be smoking one against another they're going to be knocking come on I thought you guys knew that from the Old Testament anyways I mean there's a possibility of anxiousness there so every day this person's got to say man Lord I know you're calling I'm scared I'm trying to walk this straight and narrow. Help me to walk the straight and narrow. Help me to work hard. Help me to ask. Brother, would you consider sponsoring me? And if he says no, praise the Lord. There's somebody else there. If God's calling, he's going to provide. Trust in his sovereignty. 
Do we, well, and the, and the other component I want to say about that is, or, the scriptures say, are we going to dine on the, the bread of anxious toil? I mean, because we, we, got, we got two choices there. In God's sovereignty or in my own strength and my own doing. Again, you know, the overarching thing is we got to work hard. We got to work smart. We got to pray. We got to seek counsel. We don't do stupid stuff. We try not to. But when we do, because we will. I mean, ask my wife how many stupid decisions I've made. All the while she's sitting in the background saying, Lord, I know you're going to grow us in this. I know he just screwed up again, but I know you're going to grow us from this. She's got to suffer too because these things affect her. But she's a righteous woman, a Proverbs 31 woman. And she sits back and she says, wow, Lord, man, this roller coaster is scary, but I'm, I'm, I'm on the road of life and I'm with my best friend. I'm with my husband. So what's work's purpose? Uh, you know, sorry, back up. So the question is, do we believe God actually sees all? And if we do, there ought to be two things happening. We ought to shudder and we ought to rejoice because he sees us in our little hiding secret sins. We should shudder and fear God. But he also sees us when we're doing stuff that nobody else is seeing, when we're on our knees praying for our enemy, when we're you know, praising our boss to his boss, not flattering, but praising him, even though he's a knucklehead sometimes, giving honor to those that are above you, or mercy and compassion to your co-workers. So what is work's purpose? It's to honor God, first and foremost. God, God created man as earth's shepherds, and so as we fulfill that role, we honor him. And the other thing about what's work's purpose is um, it allows us to use excuse me, to use the gifts and talents that God has bestowed upon us to live a righteous life and to bring praise and honor and glory to his name. I pray and I hope that you guys are able to be in vocations or move to vocation where you're using your gifts and talents. Because honestly, nothing's worse. I used to work in an engineering firm. I've got a fine arts degree, diametrically opposed, absolutely loathed it. And my wife kept saying, got to use your degree. You love art. Got to use art. Lord will provide. And I kept yelling at her, I can't, I can't. And finally the Lord provided, and I've had 25 years of bliss. I don't care if I made money or not. I love what I'm doing. And that's just God's goodness. Okay, Pastor? Did you guys, well, I'll repeat it anyways. Pastor said he's struggling with my analogy of walking a straight and narrow, and that seems pretty restrictive, like bondage, because I've got to be close to that straight and narrow, and the freedom that we're talking about in Christ. I think, I'm going to answer that relatively soon, but right now I guess my point would be the straight and narrow in the component of what we're talking about, Pastor, I see as loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, working wholeheartedly unto God, not unto my boss, because the reward I'm going to receive is from the Father. So that is foundationally the road I'm on. And again, there's freedom. You know, I, w- I was thinking about um, 
if, I, I hope this is cool. There's a young guy who started coming here recently who's an artist. His goal, his desire, his vocation is to be an artist. Do we tell him, hey, bud, you can only do three foot by four foot paintings that are realism? Or does he have the freedom to do abstract paintings on the sides of buildings or on huge canvases? And again, we're going to get to that. Does that help? Okay. And, And also, Pastor, part of that analogy was just my desire is to give you guys tools. And again, I'm going to explain a little bit. Tools on how to how to figure this thing out. One of the tools is, you know, principally, you you've got to have a foundation that you're standing on as you're making and going forth with those decisions. But preferentially, if we make mistakes, there is freedom in Christ. And I, I Pastor, I hope I'm going to hope I'm going to answer that question in a minute. So another th- this thing that I'm, we're talking about next, like I really like this. Vocation is another language that we use to tell the redemption story. You know, as your coworkers, as your boss, they see you and they say, you're not fronting, you're not striving, you're not clawing, or, man, you're honoring people, you work when no one else sees it, you do more than expected, and you trust even when you're seemingly been burned. Why do you love your neighbor as yourself? This is a language that we speak. As my employees see me, with my feet up on the desk, kicking back, just doing nothing. Wow. What's that dude all about? Or they see me out there dumping trash like they do, putting graphics on vehicles like they do. I'm working side by side. I'm honoring them. I'm not dissing them. And hear me. We obey in fulfilling not just his commands, like the Pharisees did and added all of these minutiae that were bondage. So we obey him not, not just following just his commands like the Pharisees, but by his way and by his power because now we are capable. So it's, it's important that we follow his commands, but again, we don't want to fo- follow them with stiff necks and hard hearts like the Pharisees who tried to, you know, do the minutiae of all these little additives that they put on the gospel. We can be merciful. We can be subordinate. We can be generous in praise. We can be unselfish. We can be proactive doing stuff, not just when we're asked. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and our reward is not just a paycheck, but it's soulishness fulfillment. There's a satisfaction in a job well done where the benefits are way more than a paycheck. Again, sorry to use me, but, you know, I started pinstriping cars 25 years ago. And, man, I had a riot. And although, like, I wanted to earn money, I set goals, and I, but, like, man, you know, I, I just had a blast. Art on cars, how much more fun can you have than that? Because that's my gig. That's my preference. There's not a principle there. The principle is using the gifts and talents that God gave me as an artist, not an engineer, to bring him honor and glory. The other thing that, uh, the purpose of it is to mold us and shape us. Shapes us character-wise, as I've made allusion to earlier, using frustrations, conflicts, submission, disappointments, all of those things as developers, as chiselers. What does James say? Hey, don't be freaked out about this fiery trial that comes upon you. There's a purpose for it. It's to breed you into a perseverer, into an asker of wisdom, into, God, what's going on? Man, did, did, did I goof up again? Straight and narrow. 
Lord, I, I thought I was on the straight and narrow. What's going on? And he says, yeah, that's okay. I'm just giving you some persecution. Or no, you know what? You goofed up. Make a right. Bible says clearly, ask for wisdom. He's going to give it to you if you ask in faith. It's to mold and shape us in the image as redeemed creatures, living the redemptive story as an open book for those around us. Again, there was the mandate of work. It got perverted with leaven and sin. Christ redeemed that. Opportunistically, we can take this same thing that God originally intended for us as a gift, and as we live it out in righteousness and passion and joy and honor, man, praise the Lord. Our image as a redeemed creature is a book for those to read. And then there's a component of identity. In submission to God's sovereignty, in his hands not ruled by vanity, prestige. But again, I keep coming back to the submission to God's sovereignty. That's where identity is. Real quickly, three guys. Tom Trask, guy who married Betty and I, was going to seminary, took a job cleaning toilets so that he could memorize scripture and his brain could be regurgitating theological concepts. Kind of a miserable job. Eternity in mind, greater goal in mind of being a pastor. Guy ended up being literally the head of the entire assemblies of God. I don't know if you guys ever heard of a guy named Bill McCartney. He was, he was an assistant football coach at U of M for eight years. This is a ways ago. Went to the uh, Colorado Buffaloes, a college, and within a pretty brief period of time, ends up winning a national championship. And you know what happened? I heard him speak one time, and he said, he and his wife were talking, and he looks at her, and he's all like, your countenance. What's wrong? He had stolen from her because his life was invested in football. And his, wife, his wife's countenance was drawn because here's his helper, his, his soulmate, and, he, and, and she's dying on the vine because his life was poured into football. So he resigned. He's ready to get the biggest paycheck of his life, a career extension, and he resigns. That kind of sports dude I like. I brought up a couple weeks ago, Brother Lawrence. The guy was uneducated, so he couldn't even be a monk in a monastery. He had to be a dishwasher. Guys wash dishes, frying fritters and stuff. And after he's dead, his life was such of a righteous, godly book that like the head of the monastery found his diary and published it for you and I to gain benefit from. And you know what he said? He said that he doesn't see any difference in his worship and honor of God between when he's frying a fritter or washing a dirty pot and taking the sacraments. And just so we're clear, we give honor to the sacraments when we take them here. But man... They did it big time back in his time. I mean, that was a big deal to take the sacraments. And he's saying there's no difference between me honoring the Lord by washing a dish, by picking up a piece of paper off the ground, or by kneeling at his altar and partaking of the broken body and blood of Christ. So it's not our identity in a different sense If you've got a great job and you're a doctor and you're making good money, 
Don't rest in that. Don't let that be your security. That is not who you are. You are a man or woman. And you've been created in the image of Christ. Keep going back to that. Don't be perverted by the accolades received from that. And on the opposite spectrum, if you've got a lowly, jo- a lowly job that other people would look at and say, Oh, yeah, that's what you do? Okay, good for you. That's not your identity. Are you a dishwasher? Worship God. Honor God wholeheartedly because your paycheck is not your reward. Your reward rests in heaven coming from Jesus Christ himself. That's what the scriptures continue to say. Our reward in serving Christ as we serve in our brother and sister in the workplace, that's where our reward is in eternity. And it's not to gain a financial foothold of security, again, as an idol. Nothing wrong with saving money, nothing wrong with 401ks. When it becomes an idol, no good. And it's not a stepping stone to real success. success. And I put, I don't think it's up there, but um, the great lie of, but if only, don't, don't get trapped into the if only. If only I made more money. If only my boss appreciated me. That's not where our identity is. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Read it again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, they're talking about good works, but our work, our vocation, is included in that. His workmanship fashion-shaped and empowered to do good works, including vocation. Again, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you telling the redemption story with a righteous attitude, with passion, submission, mercy, all that? Or are you giving your co-workers fodder to blaspheme the Father? So, give you a couple of examples, and I asked these guys permission. So, Matt Ott, Matt Ott's a doctor. When someone comes walking into the office, he's got a bunch of choices to make. Does he look at them as, okay, cool, my job is secure, we just made another $125. And you know what? Uh, I'm going to say, hey, bud, you know what? You need to come back four more times because I've got to make sure that you're on the right track. And he keeps padding his wallet. Or does he say... Does he give the guy an alternative of, hey, guess what? I think some vitamins that are $9.99 are going to help you. Or is he under the guise of the pharmaceutical companies who want him to push drugs that we don't even know the side effects for? Do you guys see the point? It's an honorable profession that can be turned dishonorable. Is he willing to tell the guy the truth? Hey, you're eating junk. That's why you've got diabetes. You've got to pony up. How is he going to help this guy? Or is he just going to, like I say, kind of like pat his wallet or get the pat on the back from the pharmaceutical companies because he's pushing drugs and he's getting people hooked on drugs? Caitlin Deck. She's a, man, is it cosmetologist? Caitlin Deck's a cosmetologist. One of the things she does is cut hair. She's got a perfect opportunity to build righteous image and identity in women 
by saying, do you realize that there's an inner beauty that the scriptures talk about? And she can encourage women, men, that there's an inner beauty in us worshiping and honoring the Father, giving our life in submission, or, hey, you know what? Why don't we color your hair? Why don't we do braids? And we'll do a perm. 175 bucks. And the thing is, she's perverting her trade and she's giving someone a false image. She's wanting a beautiful woman to like rearrange that thing. And again, I I hope you guys get my point in this. Again, I'm kind of talking generalities, but you guys can see. Okay? Pastor, that to me is part of the freedom. Notice how many parables, stories, and analogies are used in Proverbs, the Gospels, and letters to the church that work as focal points. Okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to skip those. So, in, in, in the Ephesians passage, who was Paul's audience? Who was part of Paul's audience? Slaves and masters. Slaves and masters were part of Paul's audience. He's got a righteous opportunity to go down this rabbit trail and speak on the discord between slavery and Christianity. He could say, hey guys, haven't you read my books? I keep telling you, male, female, barbarian, Scythian, Jew, Gentile. No, in Christ we're all the same. He's got a perfect opportunity to scold the masters. And to give hope to the slaves. But what does he do? He doesn't do that. Now, time out. Slavery back then was probably not nearly as brutal as the slavery that you and I know and we discuss. But that being said, if you read the scriptures, Paul says, don't be threatening your slaves or bondservants. So there was a a potential for brutality. Okay? I, I just want to be clear about that. Paul's not going to address those things if there's nothing to address. So what does Paul do? Why doesn't he address that? He does it because there's something more important that Paul wants the audience to hear. And that is wholeheartedly serve the Lord. Because your master is not the one going to give you the reward. You serve Jesus Christ. And eternity is going to bear that reward. Now, I'm going to give you another thing, just to know you guys don't think I'm crazy, and I ran this by pastor. Think of marriage and Paul's admonition to the believing spouse with an unbelieving mate. What does he say? No, 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 you can't leave. If they're willing to abide with you, an unbeliever abiding with the believer, the believer is bound to stay. Again, that's a big deal. You know, a lot of you guys are newly married. So those of us who have been married longer, marriage is hard. It's hard work. It's conflict. It's trying to figure out your roles. It's trying to figure out how to honor the Lord. It's trying to figure out submission to me and me to her. And that's in a Christian marriage where Betty and I pray and read. And here Paul said to a believer, you've got to hang with an unbeliever. Man, do you know the charge that that is? Why? Because there's a greater thing. Eternity is our reward. Sorry, you got to suffer. But that's the deal. That's what Paul's saying.
In observation of the Colossians and Corinthians passages, again, Pastor, I hope that this, this package is a little bit, there's no black and white definition regarding the passage. Again, Paul doesn't say don't eat meat, and he doesn't say don't own slaves. But in both scenarios, his admonition is work wholeheartedly unto God, not unto man, understanding that the Creator is watching and reward his faithful doers in eternity. These passages are not cheerleading us to be perfect employees or employers. They once again, as throughout the gospel narrative, point us to the base instruction, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And as matters of the heart and as Christians, we must be more conscious not only of the how of work, but the why of work. And by why, I don't mean because I've got to pay my bills. As a journalist, do I write cynically? Or do I write as an optimistic believer, not being afraid of being politically incorrect? Could a Christian sports guy just say, you know what, just give me 250000 even though I could probably get five mil? Or if he takes five mil, next year has a bad year, hey, you know what, let's renegotiate my contract. I, I really didn't do what we thought I was going to do. Let me take less. Or music. I mean, think of some of the stuff that passes as music nowadays. It's demonic. It's dark. Or it's, you know, fluff that's useless. The why of our work. Not just the how, but the why. To honor the Lord. Again, paint abstractly, paint realistically. Caitlin Deck, cut hair, impart inner beauty, exhort about inner beauty. Color their hair. Give them a perm. That's not what I'm saying. Freedom. But do it as honoring unto the Lord. So let's face it. I think some, many, all of us look at Pastor Eric, Pastor Leon, say, man, Those dudes are really serving the Lord. And that is true. And the job that they do is extremely important. I own a sign shop. Is is the work that they do of greater importance than what I do? Absolutely yes. But there's a deeper, more important question that we have to ask. Are we both wholeheartedly serving the Lord redeeming the time and circumstances for God's glory? Or are we doing it for man's praise or recognition or a paycheck? Whether a pastor or a sign shop owner, the vocation may differ in spiritual importance, but the life lived of the individual in either profession is what God is going to judge. The outplaying of any job can have dramatic spiritual influence, whether we label it secular or not, there isn't a difference. Our work is sacred. If we're honoring the Lord, if we're worshiping Him with the gifts and talents that He's given us, if we're loving Him with our whole heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving our boss and our co workers as we love ourselves. Couple application questions. Does my current or future employment, by the nature of its makeup, honor or dishonor the Lord? Are you a liquor store owner? Do you own a payday? And sorry, get out of it. 
Do I or will I in my vocation, regardless of circumstances, honor the Lord? Again, whether you're high or whether you're low, that is not our identity. Our identity is in Christ, the righteous Savior of the world, who's given us new life. Lastly, do I need to alter my course to enhance the possibilities of my life fulfilling his general calling? Some of you guys are in the midst of making decisions. You know, I counsel you, continue to pray, ask the Holy Spirit, get guidance and counseling from godly friends, godly neighbors, older people, elders, pastors. Run it before your Mac group. Run it before your disciples. You might be able to make a better decision. I hope you guys understood the point that I was trying to make where Paul gives freedom where he doesn't say, you got to eat meat. He doesn't do that because there's an underlying principle that undergirds all of those things. So my exhortation to you is whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord. So we're going to take um, offering and have communion.